0: Galatians chapter 5. And today I want to preach a message entitled, Who Cut In On You? Who Cut In On You? Uh, if I were, in fact, the other day hanging around at, at Jamie's school in the morning a little bit, as I, I do, as I drop her off to school and kind of stand there with her. I overheard one kid say to another kid, I budged in front of this one. The, the whole thing with her school is budging. I had never heard that word before. I, I thought budging was, you know, I, I suppose it makes sense completely. But the whole thing is about not budging. Or, as we used to say, not cutting in line. You know, when somebody cuts in line. How many of you have ever been as you're how many of you drive, by the way? You drive a car. All right, few of you. How many of you have ever been cut off by somebody? How many of you I shouldn't ask. How many of you smile at them and wave? <laughs> oh, there are some wonderful some some you are co- uh, the common courtesy of the road. That's that's kind of you. And I won't ask the follow-up question for the rest of you who didn't raise your hand. Uh, we don't like being cut in on, right? It, you know, you get out there on the road and, and you've, got a, you've got a place to be. You've got somewhere to go. I, was, I had to stop by the church last night just to make sure our, our heat it's. I like this weather too, Julian, but it throws me off. I don't know whether to have the heat on, have nothing on, have the air conditioning on. I, we can't figure it out. It's, it's, so I passed by just to make sure we were all set for today. And I was coming up and had to turn on Ravenswood and, and came down. There's an alleyway right between, I don't know what that street is, the next street over, the next block over, and Devon. And there's an alleyway. And it's really rough. And I was just barreling through. I didn't have a stop sign and some guy ran his stop sign without looking at me. And I waved and smiled. No, I I hit the horn because I thought I was going to hit the guy. I thought, you know, I hit the horn and I I didn't get mad. I really didn't. I, I kept it down. But none of us like being cut in on. You know, you see it from very early on in school. It happens all the way through life. You're driving your car or You're waiting in a long, long line at Jewel. You're standing there, and you've got your cart full of groceries, and you've got somebody in front of you who has a cart full of groceries, and you've got somebody else in front of you who's got a cart full of groceries. And here pulls up an individual with five items. And they're looking with that sad, begging kind of look. Julian, no, I, I, I'm just guessing what's going on. Yeah, they're, they're, they're looking like, you know, I've just got these few things. And if you're like me, I, the Lord's still working on me on the sanctification thing. If you're like me, I'm thinking in my mind, 15 items or less right over there, my friend, 15 items or less. You say, what kind of a Christian are you, Pastor? Well, like I said, I'm the one who's still working it out with fear and trembling. You know, or the, the self-checkout now, that's, that's kind of handy and convenient. Uh, but, you know, you, you, and, and sort of begrudgingly, I, I have yet to see somebody graciously, kindly say, oh, that's all you have? Oh, come up here. It happens very, very rarely. you kind of like, fine, go ahead, here you go, go ahead, go in front of me. We don't like being cut in on. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. The Bible says this. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? The whole book of Galatians deals with this topic and this idea. Paul in fact is writing and he deals with the idea that there were those who would come, and in fact this verse or this these this verse of scripture indicates that it really was one individual who began to get in the way of how the Galatian church started and how it was that they were to continue by faith. How many know that we come to Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone, and that our faith continues in Him? It is completely and totally by faith. It is not by works, lest anyone should boast. We cannot, we didn't get into the kingdom by earning our salvation, and we don't stay in the kingdom by working to earn our salvation. But instead, those works are the outflow, or should be the outflow of our profession of faith. But there was somebody who had come in and was now trying to bring this body of believers, Gentile believers. They knew nothing about the law of Moses. They knew nothing about very little about the Old Testament. They knew very little about what, what it was to be a, a, a Jew in the Old Testament, how it was that they were to carry out all the rituals and the, you know, the various things that are written in the Law of Moses. And this, this one topic centers around the idea of circumcision. And, and it was that there was this one coming into the group who said, listen, sorry, men, that's going to happen. As a, as a Gentile believer, that's going to happen. And Paul begins to write and says, wait a minute. No, it doesn't. If you start to try to keep the law in one area, you've got to keep the whole thing. And guess what? You can't. It's absolutely impossible to be able to keep the whole law. And so Paul had to contend that if you start something by faith, you have got to continue it by faith. And there are a lot of times in our Christian lives where there are those who will cut in on us. And they will begin to tell us that we've got to do this, we've got to do that. They will begin to get in the way of our pursuit of Christ. It could be that there are those who are getting in the way and saying, you don't need to do that. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to do all of those things to, you know, to be a Christian. You just do whatever you want to do. Look, you believe in God. What's the big deal beyond that? That's all that really counts. And yet that is the other extreme. And that is also somebody who is cutting in on you. I want to look at this one verse of Scripture today. And I want us to expose this teaching of the Judaizers and those, in fact, this one individual, it seems, who is coming in and distracting the people of God from what it is that God wanted them to do. Listen, there are all kinds of distractions in life. There are certain things in life that will come our way. And if we are not careful, that thing will cut in on our Christianity and begin to distract us to somehow thinking that we can follow our own ways, our own ideas, our own plans. And you know what? God just, you know, he understands. I believe with all my heart that God wants us to go after him with everything that is within us. That we need to go after him with heart, soul, mind, and body. The Bible lets us know that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You say, but wait a minute. I have control over myself, my own body. This is mine. I want... who, who brought you into the world? Who made you? Who brought you into existence? Who gave you breath? to breathe so that you can live every day. It is your Creator. And your Creator says, you are mine. I bought you with a price. So there are three things that we want to look at today. Paul says the first one about them is this, about the Galatian people. He says this, you were running a good race. You were running a good race. You know, it's interesting to watch a the start of a marathon. You know, usually you, you know, if any of you follow a marathon and you like to follow that, you watch the beginning and it's thousands upon thousands of people, especially here in Chicago and in New York and in Boston and other places and major cities where marathons take place. And you look at the marathon, you look at the depth of the, the runners and how many are there. And you've got the very best in the world and you've got the very worst in the world. And they're all lined up together. They're all, Well, they're not all lined up together because they're thousands of people. It takes a long time if you're in the back of the pack to get across that starting line, to get to that place where you start. And, and you know, you, you, you're all lined up and everybody starts off. And you start off strong. You feel strong. You feel healthy. You feel good. And as you go on in this particular marathon, then the next interesting thing becomes the finish line. Who's going to finish first? But what happens in between matters a whole lot, especially to those who are running. And in fact, there are those who say there is, when you're running a marathon, that 26.2, whatever it is, miles, when you're running that marathon, you get to a certain place and they hit, the runner hits what's called a wall. And it is where your body wants to stop. It wants to give out, but there have been events in the past where people have actually jumped out and gotten in the way or other runners have come up behind and and they've tripped a runner who was up in the front and probably had a good chance and injuries took place. Somebody cut in on them, but the beginning was great. You started out well, and this is what Paul says to the the Galatian church. He says, listen, you were running a good race. You started out fine. Listen, whenever you went to the point where you realized you needed Jesus Christ as your Savior, you came to an altar maybe in tears, maybe in weeping, maybe in that moment you realized, I need a Savior. And Lord, you confessed your sin. You gave him your all. You gave him your best. You said at that moment, you committed your heart to him. You said, I'm going to serve Jesus with everything that is within me. I'm going to give him my best. I'm going to serve God. And you left that place of prayer and you went out and you began to, to run the race in front of you. You began to share the gospel. You didn't At the moment, you didn't really care what other people thought of you. You were so fired up. There was a fervency in your spirit, and you just said, I'm going to run this race. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to follow Jesus with all of my heart. You were running a good race. There was faith. There was fervency, there was fire that was in your soul that says, I'm going to give God my very all. But something, somewhere, got in the way. In fact, it might have been in the form, the same way it was for the Galatian church, of a who? Someone got in the way. Somewhere along the way, somebody came up alongside of you and said, no, you don't need to do all that. No, 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 you don't. Go to church, you know, read your Bible, pray. You know, you believe in God. What's the big deal with that? We've mentioned this over and over again. The Bible lets us know that even the demons believe and they tremble. Why is it that somehow... We, we somehow get cut in on and we approach our Christianity with this haphazard, this kind of half-baked idea that somehow we can just go at it with a little bit of, you know, mentioning God here, mentioning God there, and somehow it's all going to be okay in the end. See, Paul is talking about the idea of them starting a race. And he says, you were running a great race. You were well on your way to being what God wanted you to be. You were doing what God wanted you to do. And listen, it was and it still is a race, folks. And that kind of a race, and in fact, Paul uses this imagery not only here in Galatians, but also in Philippians. He uses it in Corinthians as well. Paul, and in Timothy, Paul is, is a fan of, of the idea of a race as typifying what it means to live the Christian life. And to run this kind of race, this isn't a sprint. I, I, you know, in, in high school, we used to do these, these conditioning sprints. To get into shape for whether it was basketball or baseball or whatever it might have been and whatever it was that we were, we, whatever sport we were involved in, our coach would just beat us to death to get us into shape and the one thing I hated the most, the one thing that I hated the most was running these sprints, but I knew that if i gave my all and gave my best in running these sprints two things were going to be accomplished one i would get into shape the way that the coach said i was going to and i did the other thing was they would be over soon and that was really what i was looking for for it all just to be done i don't have to run the sprints anymore but this isn't a sprint folks it was more it's more of like what i used to have to do in training for baseball At the beginning of practice, my baseball coach would say, okay, fellas, and it was in the winter or in the springtime, but up in northern Maine, there's still snow on the ground, and he would say, okay, fellas, let's go 70 laps around the gym, 70 times, and we used to get to five, and I used to think, oh, God, I am not going to last. This took more endurance of us. You see, a race is not something that is over instantly unless it's the sprint. But the Christian race is more like a marathon. It keeps going and it keeps going. And there are times in your life where maybe you get a little bit discouraged. But I want you to know that it's still a race You've still got to keep your head in the game. You still have got to say, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm, there's no way out for me. I'm not going to step off and say, that's it. I'm done. I can't take anymore. No. Listen, when you hit the wall spiritually, I want to encourage you to keep on moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, keep moving forward. It takes endurance. It takes training. It takes the Word of God, it takes prayer, fellowship with other believers. We need all of these things to help us to endure and to keep going. That's why we come together on Tuesday night to pray. We come here to pray first and foremost. Yes, I share the Word, but we come to pray because we know that when we call upon God, He's going to refresh and renew our spirit so that we can continue going the same way that we started out. You, he says, were running a good race. It's as if Paul was saying, along with John, who was really repeating the words of Jesus in the book of Revelation, when he says, remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you used to be. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 10. He's encouraging those Hebrew Christians who were facing persecution, who, who in, for all intents and purposes, they wanted, to just, they wanted to give up. He says, remember the former days. How many of us today can sit here and say, I've got the same kind of, of strength the same kind of fire, the same kind of spiritual fervency as I did in that moment where I recognized that Jesus Christ was mine and I was His and I needed Him. How many of us can sit here today and really in our spirit, in our heart, confess that we've got the same kind of motivation? So the question is this. The second thing that Paul notes about it, and he asks the question, who cut in on you? Because it was obvious that they were becoming distracted. But the distraction came not from something in their case. It came from someone. Now, Paul was not asking, you know, for names here. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But the idea here is that someone was cutting in front of you So as to either to cause you to stop, take a misstep, or to slow you down. And that, in fact, was what this particular individual was doing to the Galatian church. He was coming in and throwing them into confusion. He was beginning to proclaim something that was not the gospel. And in fact, when you go back to Acts chapter 15 and you read about the the apostles getting together and how it was that they believed ministry ought to happen in the Gentile world. These were Jewish men, Jewish believers, and they said, "Here's, here's what it is that we need to do. It was a very short list of things that Gentile believers needed to concern themselves with. Circumcision or keeping of the law in any form was not one of them. And even, get this, you will find, you read the entire book of Galatians, and you will find that even Paul at one point says, I even had to confront Peter because Peter was falling into the same error. Imagine that, Peter. Who cut in? Who, what kind of an individual came in there and somehow had the ability, had the power, had the had the, the charisma to be able to get these gentile believers to somehow think they had it to start they had to start keeping part of the law now paul brings it down to this that word who in the original language the original greek is in the singular form it refers to one individual likely the leader of those who were teaching This particular adherence to the law. It was one person. It's an amazing thing. Last week I preached on the the, the subject, the message of bad company and how the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. How very important it is for us as Christians whom it is that we allow into our lives on a regular basis. If it's not somebody who is following Christ with all of their heart, their soul, and their mind, listen, you can be their friend, they can be your friend, but be careful how deep you allow them to go into your life because sooner or later, they're going to cut in on you. I'm, I'm a fan of commentaries to help me study and help me to, to kind of get into the text a little bit. I'm not really a fan of quoting them, but as I was reading this one commentary on this one verse of Scripture, I said, "Woo, that's so good. i got to read this. So just hang on with me. I, I typically don't read quotes out of commentaries. They're not the most inspiring kinds of, of reads, but this one really helped me. Paul was not asking here for names and addresses when he asked who cut in on you. Nor did he have any lurid interest in ferreting out the identity of his opponents. Regardless of the instrumentality of his flesh and blood adversaries, Paul knew that the prince of darkness was manipulating the situation in Galatia. His dear children were besieged by a supernatural foe, one that only the power of the Holy Spirit can successfully resist. Brothers and sisters, I believe with all of my heart, if we are not careful, we will become besieged by a supernatural foe of somebody coming into our lives who begins to tear away the very fabric of what it is that we believe. We begin to doubt God and we begin to say that the world knows what it's talking about. The Bible still says, let God be true and every man a liar. Don't allow someone to cut in on you and to distract you in the race that you have yet to win. We're not done yet, folks. You came to Jesus. That's not the end of the race. That's the beginning of the race. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep moving forward. A hindrance in the race can come in any form. And in this particular circumstance, it came in the form of a person. This is why it is so important that as Christians. We come to the place where we recognize those who are single, those who desire to get married. You come to the place where you recognize that Paul was right when he said that we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. How in the world can you possibly progress forward in Christ if that spouse, that mate next to you is not headed in the same direction? It is not possible for you to stay in there the way that you need to. Someone will cut in on you. We've got to keep our heads in the game. What do we do about the hindrance? If it is a hindrance to your progressing in the Christian life, then that hindrance must be taken out of the way. Don't allow anything to come between you and your Savior. Don't allow anything or anyone to come between you and Jesus. If you recognize that somehow the world is beginning to affect your thinking by who you're hanging with, then maybe you ought not to be hanging with them. Maybe you ought to kick them to the curb and say, Lord, I'm going to let you do the work in their life, but I'm not their evangelist. I'm not their missionary, and especially if it involves an intimate relationship, you ain't going to win them. Well, thank you for those amens, because I believe that's the truth. It's amazing to me how many people start so well But when they get the things that they've been praying for, God begins to bless them. They begin to take their eyes off Christ as if somehow they made their way. As if somehow they're the ones who did it. Be careful of who will cut in on you. Paul's not interested in exposing who this individual was. We don't ever find out. You read in the book of Galatians, you never find out a name. Paul doesn't care who the name was. What he cares about is the fact that the enemy was doing his best to distract these Galatians from running the race that was in front of them where they could have had an impact on the world that they were living in. And Paul fights this thing so vigorously and, and with such, such strength and such power, he comes against it and recognizes, listen, if we don't right the ship here, it's going to be shipwreck. And so he tells them, to think about who it is that cut in on them. And then he goes on and he says this about this individual because it apparently seemed to be working that this individual had distracted them. Because he says this, the last part of this verse says, who cut cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Think about this for a minute. This individual had had some success in keeping the Galatian church from obeying the truth. It is, as this quote says, there was a supernatural foe that was coming against Paul, his preaching, the gospel, the the Galatian church and how they started. There was something diabolical that was happening here. Anything that distracts you from moving forward in Christ is not of God. You need to kick it aside and say, no, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus over and over again in the New Testament we are told to keep our eyes fixed on Christ we are told to keep our eyes from from uh, from the things in the world and, and from becoming distracted by them over and over in the Old Testament we are constantly told to look up we're told to look at God and to not go to the right or to the left we're, we're, we're completely and totally admonished all over the place to keep our eyes fixed on Him why? because as long as we do we will obey him as soon as we begin to take our eyes off christ and begin to be distracted by the world then the bible is going to be true in the fact that it says that this one kept them from obeying the truth somewhere along the way we think that we can just no big deal you know that that's a dumb rule you know why did god say that I'm not talking about the Old Testament. I'm talking about the New Testament. You know, why why is that there? Doesn't God realize times have changed? Culture has changed? I'm amazed, folks. Folks, we are in bondage to our culture. In fact, even in the church, we are so in bondage to our culture that somehow we think that everything has to change in the church in order for us to be effective in the world that we are living in. And I'm here to let you know, the one thing that can never, ever change is this message. You cannot change this message. Now, if it were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I'd have been looked at, cross-eyed, as if somehow I had backslidden because I didn't put on a tie. For those of you wearing ties, I love your ties. You feel free anytime. But I eliminated them because I didn't like them. They choked me half to death. And maybe that'll be a sign for me in another direction, in another area of life, but nonetheless, that's the way it was. You know, we got hung up on so many other things that we fail to see that somehow that what we need to keep doing is we need to keep our eyes on Christ. We need to keep our nose in the Word and we need to preach the message of the Gospel because there is something that is diabolical out there that is getting into the church and somehow keeping people from obeying the truth of the Word of God. We have to be so, so very careful. Even the enemy comes in and he doesn't want you to be obedient to the truth, he doesn't want you to obey what God wants you to do. He wants to keep you down. He wants to keep you under. And somehow he wants, and if he can do that, he can keep you ineffective for the kingdom. You see, the Christian who is on fire for the Lord, going after God with all their heart and running the race that is set before them with endurance, with passion, with fire, is somebody that the enemy is afraid of. He's scared of you, but he uses distraction to get you to somehow take your eyes off what God wants you to do. You see, there is something else about this particular group is it seems as though desire was still there. Desire was still there, but desire is not enough. You say, well, I want to serve Jesus. I want to serve God. But it seems as though the battle rages... And you want your own way a little bit more than you want God. Can I encourage you today that what Jesus Christ has done for you, when the Bible says that he went to the cross and he died for our sins and he was raised for our justification, that he has a great purpose and a great plan for your life, and somehow when we are distracted, we, we, we think that, that, well, you know, I've got this desire to serve God that that's enough. But if you're not following God with all your heart, your soul, and mind, and you're following your own way, then I'm here to let you know your desire is not enough. Your desire has to turn into action. It has to turn into activity. Let me do what God wants me to do. Not just feel what it is that God wants me to do. Let me actually get up off my hind end and start doing it. Brothers and sisters, listen... I believe with all of my heart that we have to endure but the idea of endurance is that you're moving forward. You're not standing still. You're not sitting there saying, well, I'm going to let somebody else pick up the slack because I'm a little tired today. No, instead, what we need to do is say, Lord, I'm going to move forward in you. I am going to go on in you. I am going to keep my eyes fixed on you. And I will not stop for the world, for anyone else. I won't stop. I will keep running the race that is in front of me. And you've got to run with endurance you have to keep your eyes on Jesus don't don't stop moving ahead you know there are the airplane is unique it's one of the great modes of travel in fact they still say that it is the safest mode of travel that there is in the world I'm not doing a commercial for the airline industry by saying that but that's just what I hear and what I read that that's the case but the airplane is unique. It is, it is, in many ways, it parallels our Christian existence. You see, any other form of travel, let's just say a train. We could say a car. <laughs> you could even say a horse and buggy. You can reverse all of those things and not be affected. They can come to a screeching halt. And stop, and everything's fine. But you have an airplane come to a screeching halt at 35,000 feet, not fine, not good. Gonna be all kinds of bad problems. A plane doesn't have reverse. In fact, when they're getting, you know, getting back from the gate, they have a little, there's a little buggy, little thing out there that pushes the plane away from the gate. And they get out far enough and that thing unhooks and then the plane can turn and go forward. Our Christianity is much like an airplane. When we keep moving forward, when we keep going ahead, when we go and we are moving in God, moving forward steadily and constantly and consistently, everything is fine. It is when we get the idea that somehow we can just put the brakes on our Christianity, that today when we wake up, we don't feel very much like being a Christian. We don't feel like like doing what it is that we're supposed to do. Today, we're just going to Take a little break. We're just going to put the brakes on our Christian existence. And for that, brothers and sisters, you are much like an airplane. Disaster can happen so very quickly. You can't stop. You've got to keep moving forward in God. You can't say, well, I'm going to approach this thing just all haphazardly. Don't allow anyone to get in the way and hinder you from what God wants you to do. But instead, keep your eyes fixed on Him and keep moving forward and run the race with endurance, the race that has been set before you. The Bible says this, that Jesus did the very same thing. He did the same exact thing. And let's turn over there. This is what I want to close with. In Hebrews chapter 12, This is the one passage of scripture that helps us keep everything in perspective. When we allow the enemy to get in, I encourage you to come back to this passage. Come back to this place and find out what your example did and then follow with what Jesus did. The Bible says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I I don't know if you've ever caught that before, but this race is not some kind of haphazard thing. You might not see what's been marked out, but God sees what has been marked out for you. It's planned by Him. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now here it is. He's our example, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary And lose heart. Oh we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because he is the one who helps us to keep moving forward. He is the one when we look at him. We realize he endured so much. And he endured it for you and for me. He endured it so that we could live lives that are pleasing to him. Listen. Don't kick him to the side and say Lord I'm going to do my own thing today. No. Don't allow the world to cut in on you. Don't allow anything to get in your way, but you keep moving forward for Christ. Can we bow our heads this morning?